being entrusted with this word, like a king saying, here, go share these words. I've given you these words to share with someone and wanting them to be true and accurate and perfect and powerful. And so I got this picture this week, you know, of Zechariah, Zacharias being in there and, he, and the angel shows up, you know, and there's something goes on in his heart and he comes out and he can't speak. And I was kind of praying that this morning for myself, Lord, if I get it wrong, would you just make me mute? Would you literally make me mute? Literally. Because I don't want to get it wrong. And so if you suddenly can't hear me, man, praise Jesus, okay? Praise Jesus with me. You just go, hallelujah. Thank you for muting them. <laughs> and it's funny, but that's a big deal. Because what I've put up, what I feel like the Lord's put on my heart this morning is I'm really passionate about it. And I actually believe that he gave me these points to share with you. Like I literally believe it. You know, I, this is the second part. One, all for one, one for all. Uh, you don't have to have heard the first sermon to, to hear this one. It does flow separately. But in the first one, I was asking God to confirm, to confirm the word of unity. I was preaching on unity. I was like, Lord, we can confirm that I'm hearing from you, that I'm supposed to preach from you. And I'm watching, remember this? I don't know if you heard the first one. I'm watching cartoons with my son. And one of the cartoon characters is like, stay together, stay unified. They're trying to divide us. And I was like, there it is. I was like, there it is again. And, and I think there was a spaceship launched into space that week. And it was called Unity. And I was like, there it is again. And then I was running. And this truck drove by. Remember this story? This truck with this huge muffler. It was six in the morning. Waking up the whole neighborhood. And on the back of his windshield. In big white letters was the word unity. And I burst out laughing. Going there it is again. Would you believe. Right before I got COVID. I went for a run. It was six in the morning. Okay this happened mid-October. I was supposed to preach that week. But I got covid and I was running, and he starts downloading this message into my heart. Part two, unity, Greg, and he's giving me the words. And I'm bubbling. I don't know if, God, if the Lord's ever spoke to you, and, and you know when he's speaking to you, you get really excited. You're like, I'll get it. You're like, this is amazing. Your mind's being blown. I'm running down Hespler. It's pitch black, you know, and I'm going. I was like, oh, this is so good. I got to remember this. Lord, help, help. And it was point one, point two, and I'm crossing by the water tower. I'm just about to go there, and the light's green for me, so there's cars stopped. We're talking 6, 6.30 in the morning. It's dark, and I see a car, and normally I just look at cars just to make sure that they're stopped, all right? Because I don't want to be on the pavement, you know, trying to get someone's attention, right? But I, I see this car, it's got, and, I, and I, I look at it, okay, good, he stopped, and something made me want to look again. And so I looked again, and it has this roof rack, okay, like this big bulky roof rack for like bikes or snowboards. And plastered in white letters on the roof rack is the word unity. Church. I ran through the intersection. I was by the water tower. This is what I did while I was running. Hallelujah! Praise you, Jesus! It was just like this holy moment with the Lord. I was like, I can't believe you just did that again. Right? I can't believe it. And so I was telling my son this, and he's like, Dad, you know that that's kind of like this brand, right? Like, <laughs> and I thought to myself, I don't care, son. Because <laughs> I've only seen that brand twice. 
and both times was in the middle of a conversation with the king of kings about unity. Okay? So that's just a confession, apparently, to Brad. But I've only seen it twice. I've never, I have seen it one other time. So I really believe that what I'm sharing today is the Lord. And I want to get it right. Because I believe he wants to share it with us this morning. And I'm super excited to do it. But humbled and cautious at the same time. So I quickly want to recap. Oh, that's small. I really want to recap where we started with the scripture references, John 17, 20 to 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And they also may be in us. So that, big word, okay? So that uh, uh, the world may believe that you sent me. That's a big so what? So that. That the glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. Praise Jesus, unity, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfectly one. Here it is, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as I loved, sorry, even as you loved me. Point one we talked about was the Trinity is all about being one. It was individually demonstrated by God the Father. It was demonstrated by Jesus Christ, right? It was demonstrated by the Holy Spirit that came to testify to the rest of the Trinity. They were one. They said the same things. Jesus only did what the Father asked him to do, okay? God the Father created us in his image. Let us create man in our image. We talked about that. We talked about there is power in being one. Man, Pentecost, what a glory. It says they were all together in one place, the same heart. The fire of God fell. Man, there was power. We talked about uh, where two or more are gathered, right? There I am, right? We talked about like, man, he could have said 10 or 12 or 50 or more are gathered. He could have made the stipulations a little harder. But he's like, no, I want to be with you. I want my power to come. So just um, two. Is there a smaller number of people that could be together to have Christ come? Uh, we talked about there's commanded blessing in being one. Psalm 133. Oh, how good, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded his blessing. The word, say the word out loud with me. Commanded. Commanded. That's a good word, eh? Man, the king of kings commanding a blessing. No, I don't care what the enemy tries to do. You will come in unity. I am going to bless you. Big word. And finally, and where I want to put tons of emphasis on unity today, is there is one, the oneness, the unity, points people to Jesus. Is that a good, is that a good, a good purpose to, to be living for? To be striving for unity for? It is, isn't it? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may know that you sent me. And listen to this. And love them even as you loved me. A few verses later. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you loved me. It may be in them and I in them. Stop and think about that for a second. Can you imagine knowing the same love that the Father had for His Son, Jesus Christ? How many of you want to know that love? One, two, three, four. 
Now, I'll ask you one more time. You know, like, how many of you want to know the same love the Father had for His Son, Jesus? Do we not want to know that? God is saying your unity, being one, creates a place where people believe that Jesus came down and then they know the love, that same love that the Father had for His Son. It's the Father's desire for people to know Him, to know His love. And he loves us. It should be our desire. We should be desiring it for other people. How many of you desire this love for other people? That one, there probably could be less hands because we often don't live that way, don't we? It's tough to live in a way that others will know that love. In fact, the enemy hates it and he doesn't want you to live that way. But this scripture is saying, no, Jesus wants us, Christ the Father wants us to be one so that they will believe in me and they will know my love. Oh, Jesus. I want my wife to know that love. I want my kids to know that love. And church, Rob said it this morning. He was bang on. He prayed for me. You love, Greg loves the church. I love this place. I've been here for 27 years, over a quarter century when you say that, it's kind of like weird. <laughs> Quarter century. But you know, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about, I don't live this way. I often live this way. Right? My life is the white area. This is what I'm on the planet for. Me. What I can get. What I can grow. What I can do. Right? And the black area is, can you read? If, if you think I'm upset, I'm not. I'm squinting to try to read. Okay? So, you know. <laughs> So just to, just to just to let you know, I'm actually quite happy. But if I'm reading, it's not because I'm grumpy. I just my glasses are in my bag. I don't know why they're there. Anyways, we live like this. We live like this. Our life. It's all about me, Jesus, and all this is for me and the glory of my name. Right, and we. Do we think about eternity? Do we think about the fact that there's actually a much longer time after this? Do we think about that for the person sitting beside us? That actually there's a lot of eternity for them as well? It should be more like this, shouldn't it? Hey? Can I get an amen? Shouldn't it be like this? Man, did you know that I misrepresented it? Because you actually can't draw a dot small enough to represent your life. Could you? I'm sorry that the slide is inaccurate. You shouldn't be able to see your life. Because the Bible says our 70, 80, 90 years, it's like a vapor. It's like a, it's like a breath. It just goes. And then it's eternity, 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 eternity. And it's going to be eternity in one place or another. For everyone. Amen? That's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's a really sobering thought. And so, Christ calls us to a oneness. A oneness that will produce a so that people will believe that you have sent me, Father. And they will know my love. They will know my love. And so, three points this morning. 
None of them are easy. But all of them are magnificently powerful when done for the glory of God. Three points that I believe Christ modeled for us. Number one, live a life motivated by worship. I want you all to stand with me right now. If you're sitting at home, could you please do this as well? Can you, can you stand with me this morning? You guys are just going to do a little exercise. I want you to repeat after me, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving the person next to me. Think about these words, okay? Thank you for adopting the person next to me. Thank you for paying their debt. Cleansing them from sin. Giving them a hope. Giving them a future. Thank you for the person next to me. Father, thank you. For saving me, forgiving me, your spirit, good gifts, a hope, a future, talents, provision, health, family. How many of you, while we were doing that, thought about the fact you were offended with the person next to you? Raise your hand. How many of you thought of anything that you were Anyone you were offended at or angry with while we were doing that? Zero. How many of you were thinking of Jesus and what he's done for you? How many of you felt encouraged? How many of you felt blessed? How many of you felt reminded? Church, I challenge you, live a life, you can sit down, live a life motivated by worship and watch your attitude, watch it change around you. Watch what happens around you. Man, this is Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and 33. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. I, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Does that sound familiar? Didn't we just talk about that? Paul's saying, man, I just want to live a life of worship, motivated by worship in everything I do. So this exercise, try applying that to your job. You go to job, your job. Thank you for this job, Lord. I thank you for giving me this place. I thank you for the provision in it. I thank you for giving me the ability to do it. Would you help me to magnify and glorify your name? Father, thank you for my family. Thank you for my ability to play sports. Thank you for it. Just on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Elmer, I got that line from you. It was in a prayer. Lord, help us live a life motivated by worship. Thank you for, for speaking the words of Jesus. It penetrated my soul. And I have not forgot about it. And I think it's the Lord. And Paul calls us to it. You know that we were designed. I I just believe we were actually designed. If we're created in the image of the Father. Shouldn't we look like him? Right? Man, it just should be what people see. People should see us as a mirror of Christ Jesus. Just glorifying the Father. (laughs) 
we got, we got an iron. I, I don't know if I've shared this story. I asked my wife if I had. She said well, I hadn't. But I got an, we got an iron for our anniversary way back in 1999. My wife is amazing. She's, she could remember who gave it to us. 22 years of married, being married to the greatest woman. Michelle, I love you so much. Rob says that to Jackie's, like he uses her example, like she's the greatest. He's wrong. There is something wrong in his preaching. Be concerned because he's wrong. I just want to correct him publicly. No. Um, it's a public rebuke. <laughs> See, the mic didn't even shut off. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, anyways, we got this iron. I'm the, I, I'm the ironer in the fam. I, well, some people do it. They need lessons. But I, I love to iron. For, for years, I've been using this iron that we got for our wedding. And I'm doing it, and it's just... You know, I'm thinking this is an iron. This is what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to take half an hour for a shirt, right? And finally, the cord, you know, after multiple uses, became dangerous to use. Not just to burn yourself, but you could electrocute yourself. So I had to get a new iron. So I went to Canadian Tire. I'm like, hmm, what do I get, right? And I got this glorious iron that you actually put water in it and it steams. Do you know the difference between an iron that steams versus one that doesn't? I wasn't even using an iron for the first 15 years. It was just this hot, flat surface. Oh, my word. It's like the wrinkles flee from my shirt. They see the iron coming. They're just like, whoo! Man, a Christian that doesn't glorify God is like an iron that doesn't steam. Man, you start glorifying God, the enemy will flee from you. It's like things get right. Crinkles and uncomfortableness and this and that, man, they just go away as you live this life of Jesus. I just want to make you look magnificently glorious. Try being offended. Like, try, like, just try. Like, man. So we were designed. Number two, man, Matt preached it. Matt preached the message. Apply it to your job, apply it to everything. That's why he's leaving this place. He's like, Lord, I just want to make you look glorious as I cut meat. As I help people in the butcher business. I just want to, I want to cut. Who wants to do that? Like, it's like bloody and gross. It's like, what? But Matt preached the message. I'm not going to re-preach it. Go back and listen to his sermon. A life lived for the glory of God. And in what you do as a job. In the good times, we talked about this in the community group too, really briefly. When I, you know, we talked about, we sang it this morning. I live with arms high and heart abandoned, right? Like giving yourself all to Jesus. I was really scared to live a life of worship. I don't want to say yes to you, Jesus, because you're going to, if I say yes, you're going to make me go be a missionary. And I don't want to be a missionary. Anybody ever thought that before? If I give my life to Jesus, he's going to ask me to do something really hard and yucky that I don't want to do. That's not the Lord. And I was fearing that and I was up at camp and this person starts preaching this message on giving your life to the Lord. And I'm here we go again. I, I don't want to be a missionary. Why did I attribute saying yes to Jesus with being a missionary overseas? But it's like, that's what I did. And he said, you know what? The Lord hasn't called everybody to go overseas to be a missionary. He's called some to be good fathers. Some to be good mothers. And on and on, I was like, my mind was blown. Yes, Jesus, here I am, send me. I mean, I wanted to be married in the worst way and have kids, so it just fit. But it's like, what's in your hands? It's like, just man, live a life motivated by worship. And watch God move. 
doesn't matter what you do. You could say, yeah, Greg, but I do this. Yeah, do it for the glory of God and watch him come. People are going to believe in Jesus and people are going to start knowing his love. That's what's going to happen. So in the good times, have a life motivated by Jesus. In the bad times, what about in the bad times? Rob preached that sermon. I'm just reminding you of sermons that have been preached over the summer. That's what happens when you have a two-part series and you wait three months in between. It gets preached. Like, well, you know, while you're waiting to share yours. But the Lord said, no, 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 no. You just be faithful to tell people what I said. That's humbly coming to church, right? It's like, I've heard, you can, you can come to church and go, oh, I've heard this message before and shut off. Or you can say, I've heard this message. I must need to hear it again, Right? That's two different ways. Number, but but I'm, back on track. What about living a life motivated by worship in the bad times? Man, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Paul and Silas being in prison. Rob referenced it. Oh, Jesus, man. Talk about being in a bad place, right? He's in prison. We're not just talking to standing in prison. You know, like feet and hands and stalks and wet and feces, and rat, and the cold, and damp, and gross, both of them there, maybe starving, freezing, like not in a situation you want to be in whatsoever, and they sit there, and I'm going to paraphrase for them, hey Silas, how about we live a life motivated by worship, and glorifying the Lord together, yeah, sounds like a good idea, and they start singing hymns of praise to God, we're just going to worship you in this place, and you know what happened? Man, chains started falling off people. Prison doors started flying open. The jailer falls to his knees, gives his life to Jesus. He he believes. Right? That that ramification of living life worship, man, he's, he puts his trust in Jesus. Not only that, it says he goes home, his whole family was saved and baptized. Why? Because Paul and Silas say, man, I'm going to live a life motivated by worship, motivated by making my father look glorious. And it doesn't care. It doesn't matter what circumstance I'm in. It doesn't matter if it's good. It doesn't matter if it's bad. I'm not going to seek my own advantage. I'm going to seek the advantage of others. And it was other people's chains that got broken, like set free. Do you get that? It wasn't their own. Right? It was just like this. This other's mentality, you know, this, this glorious mindset. People around them started to get set free. Man, you want to see people get saved at work? Just start living for Jesus. Just start glorifying Jesus' name. Watch what happens. They're going to come up to you. Man, aren't you offended by the government and COVID? No. But aren't you upset? Like, doesn't it tick you up? No, no I just, I'm going to trust Jesus. It's not my favorite. You don't have, it doesn't have to be your favorite. But it's like, man, you, you can have a, an eternal glorious mindset to a lot of things. I thought about when we were singing this morning. Thanks for worship, man. I met with Jesus. It was so good. Thank you for leading us, Corinne and Sheldon team. We sang this, sing to the king. Sing to the king. And all I could think of was my life singing to the king. Oh, come, let us sing a song. Song declaring we believe in Jesus. He's all we need. 
Right? And I was just like, man, that's my job. That's me playing baseball. That's me being a father. Let my life sing to Jesus. And then we, we sang this other line. This life to declare your promise. In the stand. This life. This life to declare your promise. I was like, there it is again. We're singing it. Lord, help us live a life that declares your promise. Why? Because people need to see and hear and believe in Jesus. Amen. And I keep going. Point two. Church. Can we, can we ask the Lord to help us be champions of forgiveness? Well, to BC in May to pick up Taylor from Bible school. Uh, driving across the prairies and worshiping. That was like a once in a marriage thing where you do that without your six kids and your wife and and uh, it was such a it's such a fun trip because I got to play I have like Apple Music and I hit loved my loved list so when I listen to an album I hit loved and I hit random so I started in Steinbeck I just hit play random loved list okay and I got to Regina and it was still going and I was like wow my loved list is still going this is like it didn't end it was all never repeats I got to Calgary and it was still going did you know that my love list you know, in my Apple, iTunes went all the way to the interior of BC before it was done. I was like, praise Jesus. So if you want to know what kind of music I listen to, there you go. It was praise and worship for the most part. Um, but anyways, I went to BC and uh, I sit down with my dad and my stepmom at this restaurant. And we're surrounded by plexiglass. Kind of feels like you're in an institution or something, but you're outdoors. And, you know, it's really weird. But we start having this conversation about a family member. This, I have an, a, a family member where they've got a strange relationship with their kids. And how heartbreaking that is. And maybe that's some of you sitting in here right now. And I started, we started having this conversation of how sad it was that there was this estranged relationship, that they couldn't forgive one another. And I started just preaching the gospel. Man, I was like how pumped I was and how God has set me free and how much I loved my dad. I watched my dad walk out when he was five and my stepmom represented this person that he went like, and I just said, I was telling how much I love them. I was like, I love you guys. I forgive, do you know I hold nothing against you? Man, I love you with the same love as if it never happened. God has set me free. And I had forgiven my dad earlier. And it's like, I'm going off. My dad's crying in, in this restaurant. My, my stepmom had never heard me talk like this before. She's just in there. Really? It was like a weight was just lifting off them. You know, it was just this opportunity for me to bless them. And I'm talking about this. And then it hits me. There was this empty seat beside me. It was totally empty. Right? And it hits me. Oh, man. Come on. And it hits me. And I said this thing, and I believe it was this God moment. I said, you, and we were talking about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness and how much he loves us. I said, did you know that if Jesus was standing, was sitting right beside me, if Jesus was right here, my dad, my stepmom, if Jesus was right here, do you think there's anything we could say any discussion we could have where Jesus would be like, yeah, I'm with you. You don't need to forgive that person. I totally get it. That makes sense. Can you imagine Jesus ever saying that? When I was thinking of this illustration, I was thinking of my trip to Mexico and I was walking with one of the team members and they had a cross with Jesus on it. And this Mexican in Tijuana comes up to him and says, no, 
No, no, no, no. Jesus is not on the cross anymore. But so the cross probably wouldn't say it. He would say something like Jesus isn't here. But for the point of the illustration, do you think there's anything that you can think of right now that Jesus would be on your side? He would give you a high five, shake your hand, put his arm around you and say, yeah, I'm with you. You don't need to forgive that person. Anything. And I was sitting there. My mind just kind of stopped. I was like, man, there's, I have zero opportunity to not forgive. It's just not an option. And then I thought, can I share that illustration? Like that seems kind of harsh, right? To say that because there's probably right here watching me on camera right now. There's probably situations where like, Greg, but you don't know how hard it is. I'm not saying it's not easy. I'm sorry, I'm not saying it is easy. But from a biblical perspective, if I want to relay a message accurately today to you, this word of God, I would say, Jesus would say, man, there's nothing he would join you with in not forgiving. Church, we're called to live a life of forgiveness, be champions of forgiveness. And I believe we were called to it. Listen to this scripture. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. That's Jesus saying, teaching the disciples how to pray. This is how you pray. A little bit further, a couple of verses later, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Doesn't it sound like there's like this participation that the Lord asks us to walk in? It's like there seems like there's something attached to our heart to love and forgive and strive for unity with those around us. That we can actually keep ourselves from walking in the forgiveness of the Father if we harbor unforgiveness against others. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that? I don't think so. I think we're called to be champions of forgiveness. I think it's modeled by Jesus himself. I think of Colossians 3.13. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Church, we're called to forgive each other. How? As Christ forgave us. That is an all-out, I don't care what it feels like, I am forgiving my brother or sister or father, whatever situation, isn't it? Did Jesus stop at anything to forgive you? No, there wasn't, there wasn't a length he went to, was it? And what stops us from forgiving it's modeled for us. And I, I just had this question. It was modeled. Jesus modeled forgiveness. He modeled what it would look like. Now, what stops me from forgiving someone? Ah, I've got to drive all the way across town. Oh. I don't know if they really deserve it. Ah, I'm going to look weak. Ah, I don't want to. 
Uh, you fill in the blank. What stops you from forgiving someone? I mean, when it comes to following Jesus' example, you can't even say they haven't asked for forgiveness. Can you? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, we did nothing to say sorry. We did nothing to earn him going to the cross and making a way for us to walk in wholeness of relationship with him, did he? And I was just impacted by two examples of this modeling. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can someone tell me when Jesus said these words? On the cross. Jesus said these words on the cross, pierced to a cross, hanging there in pain and agony and discomfort and shame and humiliation. And what is at the forefront of his mind? What is right here in front of him? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. At that point, that's what Jesus is thinking. Now, what stops me from forgiving people? And I was deeply challenged by this thought. The simplest things keep me from forgiving people. What about Stephen? And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, two prayers, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cries out with a, in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Can you imagine stones being pelted at you like Crushing you, hammering you, the pain, the torture, the agony. And this is what Stephen says before he ascends to be with his father. This is what he's thinking of. Not revenge, not malice, not anger. Father, forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them. Church, it was modeled for us. Be a champion of forgiveness. We're called to it. As I was running, you know that running when uh, when God revealed that I was, you know, I felt like God confirmed I was supposed to preach this message. He told me, he's like, this line went through my head. You know, the cross is an instrument of mass destruction. It's a weapon of mass destruction. And then I started getting these pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, holding a big bazooka. I'll be back, you know, and he's like, he's shooting this big thing, boom, and things getting destroyed. You know, all know Arnold, most of you probably know Arnold. And then I saw Sylvester Stallone, only half of his lip was working, and he's got this gun, he's firing off these weapons. Everything's, the trees are just flattening because he's got such a big gun. Things are, the landscape is just changing, it's going crazy. I saw, then I saw this plane flying over her. Hiroshima or Hiroshima, however you pronounce it. And this atom bomb falls out and it hits the ground. Boom! And it changed history. A whole city destroyed by the first atom bomb that uh, dropped on Japan. Uh, and I was like, I was like you, know, you know what's bigger than that? And the cross. Forgiveness is bigger than that. The cross is a weapon of mass destruction. It destroys unforgiveness. It destroys shame. It changes people around you. People get set free. People get reconciled to Christ as he came to reconcile himself for us. A life lived as a champion of forgiveness causes people to see Jesus and know his love. And it brings us together. It tears down divisions, doesn't it? Amen. Does it tear down divisions, church? 
Is it easy? No. No. But it's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for us. Point three, be a champion of humility. Right now you're thinking, Greg, this isn't getting any better. Right? You know, humility is like, it's like that thing, that that exercise, that thing you need to do so that you get better at something, you know, or something changes. You know, I think Rob was joking about exercise, like that's not his thing or weight training or whatever, but... I was, I was talking to my father-in-law uh, this week. He's recovering from hip surgery. Uh, so you can pray for him if the Lord brings him to mind. But he was had this drink, right? He's like, this is a drink I'm supposed to drink. He's like, smell this. And I, <laughs> that's never a good thing, right? Your father-in-law, because it doesn't smell like Jesus, right? Like it's not going to be the sweet aroma of glory. So I smell it and instantly my face is like, Ooh. I was like, I'm like, you're going to put that in you? I was like, I thought, man, like, that's like the cross in a cup, you know? Like, that, that's what that is, right? Because what was in it, which is this, like, apple cider vinegar thing, it's called the Braggs. Um, uh, it's, it, it's good for him, and it's going to help him. I was like, man, that's like humility. Humility bleh, is gross. It's not fun. But, man, is it powerful. So I'm pointing to another sermon. Rob preached this a few weeks ago when he ended this sermon. And I have not been able to, I've not been able to forget it. But he, he quotes these two scriptures. My grace is sufficient to you. For my power is made perfect in what? Say it. In weakness. Man, if you could have the power of the Father made perfect in you. Okay, if you knew the secret. Okay. To having his power made perfect in you. Wouldn't you want to do it? Who would do it? Would you want it? Like the power of God made perfect in you. When I just think about that. When I take this verse really literally. His power is made perfect. Man I just want to go there. Because conversely. God opposes the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. This is a, this is a, these are big verses. It's a powerful word. It's a powerful word. Be it a champion of humility. And so recently the Lord, you know, took me as I, as I'm walking through this season, uh, this fall has been great opportunities for me to practice humility. And the Lord just took me back to the Garden of Gethsemane church. That's what God's doing. He's, he's taking me back to these, these examples of him in scripture. And he takes me back to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I see Christ Jesus standing there. And I see him under such a weight as he's asking the Father, Father, is there another way? Is there another way forward? But your kingdom come, your will be done. And it says, that, I mean, it was so hard that Jesus is literally sweating drops of blood. Right? And if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, you know, Mel Gibson, the producer, produces this picture of Satan in the garden just like, yeah, he's like thinking, I have won the day, right? He's like, my plan is working out to perfection. This is going to be so good and so glorious. And there's Jesus. And I actually looked up on Google. Did you know that you can actually sweat blood? 
Like that's, that legitimately happens. But you have Jesus sitting here and he is sweating blood and he is talking to the Father and he's saying, yes, your kingdom come to this path of humility. Man, it was difficult. And you know what happens next. The disciple, our Judas comes with his band of, of Mary, not Mary men, uh, angry men, right? And Peter's there with him and they come up to get him and Peter hauls out his sword and he goes after it and he cuts off the soldier's ear and Jesus stops him. He takes that ear he picks it up and he puts it back on that and says Peter are you trying to tell me that I shouldn't drink this cup are you trying to tell me that I shouldn't follow the father's plan for me and drink this cup no 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 Get behind me. This path of humility, this joy set before me to endure the cross, which was an instrument of shame. This is where I'm going. This, he had every ability, every right to defend himself. Didn't he? And he could have stopped it like this. Could have changed that situation like this. But he says, yes, Jesus, I'm going to walk this out. Man, he walked a path of humility. His friends gave way. In humbling abandonment, didn't they? His reputation gave way in humbling mockery. His his decency gave way in humbling nakedness. His comfort gave way in humbling torture. And his glorious dignity gave way to utterly undignified pain and screaming and torture on the cross. This is what Jesus said yes to. This is the path I'm going to. I am walking this out. Why? So that God's power is going to be made perfect in me. And the most glorious thing that's ever happened in all of history. The most glorious thing that ever happened in history. There will never be anything like it. It is the best thing that ever happened. Was that Christ Jesus would say yes to the Father. In humbling death. In a weak, humilifying way. And what happened? God's power came. People came out of the dead. People got saved. People got set free. The Holy Spirit came. He adopted you as his sons and his daughters. You got an eternity of perfect, glorious, eternal inheritance. A weight of glory beyond all comparison. Can anybody say amen? Amen. This was the path of humility that Jesus Christ followed to the cross. And he invites us to pick up our cross. I think of that scripture now. When we're invited to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Oh. I was just reflecting a cross of humility, walking and saying yes to Jesus. Can I just read Philippians 2, 1 to 11 for us? So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, being in one mind, church, being together. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Live a life of worship and humility. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself. 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him um, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that there it is again. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Church, this is an invitation to be a champion of humility. So that those around you would believe those around you would know the love those around you they would bow before the king of kings and confess him lord of lords and king of kings to the glory of the father maybe this is just for me i'll confess maybe this is just for me but i clearly heard the lord tell me this is not a season of defending Put away your sword. I heard those words really clear. Greg, this is not a season of defending. Put away your sword. Church, there's cups we've been asked to drink. They don't taste good these days, do they? But I'm convinced, I'm just so convinced right now that if my posture is worship and glorifying the Father and emulating Him in a life of forgiveness, I mean radical forgiveness, and choosing humility over pride, a posture that He tells me, man, I'm going to see his power made perfect rather than being opposed by him. And I so want to see the power of the gospel manifested in my life. And it's hard. It's hard. Church, I love you. I love each and every one of you. And so I don't Lord willing, I'm not saying this in arrogance or in any kind of like, this is easy. But man, I want to lead us here in love and grace and mercy, enduring with patience and kindness, challenging us, encouraging us to look to Jesus the author and perfecter of our salvation. Why? So that people get saved. Amen? So that people get saved. I want to just close with this picture. We watched uh, Free Burma Rangers. If you haven't watched it, I would encourage you to. It's not an easy watch, but it's really, it was really done well. And he says this thing in there, and he's like, you know what? 
I could choose to do these things over here. These things of sin in the world which bog me down and just shut me down. Or I could do this stuff over here. These, these Christian things which are really good. But the end just bog me down. Or I could say yes to Jesus and what he's asked me to do. Specifically, he says, nothing but green lights and the power of God. And that hit me. I just thought back to this, Lord, where have you called me to live a life of worship? What is it? In what way? I want to be on that path. For my wife and I, it is fostering and working at Calvary Church. Green light. Power of God. Church, what is it for you that is going to bring unity in those around you? That is going to reveal Jesus, that he is real and true, and that people start to know his love in radical ways.